This is the Mormon Expression Podcast. Find us on the web at mormonexpression.com. Okay, welcome back to another uh, episode of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson. Today we have a special guest panel joining us, and we're going to be talking about women and women's issues in the church. In particular, the role of women in society today is complex, but one thing is clear that women are in transition, at least in their roles. Uh, Women often find themselves in the tension between um, polarizing roles and desires, the demands and expectations of the family, their career, their relationships, and society in general are, are changing and moving in different directions and putting people in sometimes complex situations. Today we are joined by a guest panel of women to discuss the changing place of women in the church today and what it means for the women striving to find their place. First of all, we're joined by Kimberly Ann. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, John. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, my name is Kimberly Ann. And uh, I have four daughters. I live in Oklahoma and grew up in the church in Oklahoma. Uh, so as in the mission field as opposed to a Utah Mormon. Um, that was probably not the best thing to be a Utah Mormon from where I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> they were kind of like, oh, they're Utah Mormons, you know. A little bit different. Anyways, uh, I grew up here in the church, as I said, and uh, left the church about five years ago. Went ahead and had uh, my name removed from the rolls, as well as the names of my uh, children and my family. Uh, so that's my basic story. I'm an exmo, <laughs> and uh, but I'm still the same person. I always been. I haven't really changed. Great. We're also joined by Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, John. It's nice to be here. Uh, let's see. Gosh, a little bit about uh, about me. I uh, I'm 45 years old. Uh, have uh, been also like Kimberly Ann. Uh, grew up in the church, except she's younger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have uh, three children. Uh, I have two daughters, uh, 20-year-old, uh, 17-year-old, uh, and we have a five-year-old little boy. Uh, we have been married for, oh gosh, uh, 24 years now, um, uh, married in the, uh, in the Salt Lake Temple. Uh, I grew up in California, uh, Northern California. Um, went to BYU, uh, uh, met my husband at the Y, uh, he went on his mission We, I mean, you, you typical, real sappy Saturday's warrior story, <laughs> uh, got, got married after, after he got back from his mission. Uh, and, uh, so I, I have, uh, I, I have grown up in the church, uh, my, uh, both, both of our parents have uh, very strong ties uh, in the church. Um, his parents are extremely active um, 
his uh, his folks, as a matter of fact, served as uh, mission presidents uh, in Texas not too long ago, um, uh, and have served in you know callings such as stake presidents and and bishops and that kind of thing. Uh, my my folks uh, pretty much the same. My father was a convert to the church, um, so uh, there's a little bit different kind of balance there but uh but we were very always grew up very active um uh my dad was in the bishopric um my mom served lots of different callings in the church as well uh and uh and uh, both of my husband and I have kind of done our share so uh we're both very active uh still in the church uh we live currently in um Greensboro North Carolina um, made a job move um, uh, in uh, here in 1993. Kimberly Ann made an interesting point about Utah Mormons. That we uh, we lived in Utah for about uh, about six years before moving to North Carolina, and that was like being in the twilight zone. I literally almost completely lost my testimony. It was like being part of a completely different church living in Utah. Um, so it's a whole different, it's a completely different culture <laughs> as far yeah. as that goes. That's true. And I, I realize that tonight we don't have anybody representing the home front. There's nobody on from Utah. So you, John, well, I, I, I grew up there, but, but uh, uh, we're just down the street from uh, Elizabeth these days. So Zilpha, um, Zilpha, of course, you recognize from previous podcasts, but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Okay, I'm Zilpha, uh, John's wife. Uh, we've been married for 13 years. Got married way back then at the <laughs> in the Bountiful Temple. We had met at BYU also. Um, we left the church together about four years ago, um, give or take. And um, we, uh, we never really left the church. Oh, we just stopped well, going, right? <laughs> well, well, just inactive, yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I, I don't know if it's inactive. I wouldn't use that term. <laughs> uh, we just probably would. <laughs> we, yeah, the church would. We we haven't taken our names off the records at any rate. Um, and we have two children, a five and a and a seven year old. Yes, that's true. <laughs> boys oh um a girl and a boy oh lovely okay yeah then <laughs> yeah, they're they're pretty close together they're what 19 months apart oh 17 gosh. months apart oh 17 i don't mean to cheat you <laughs> the two months <laughs> yeah okay in the introduction i kind of um <clears throat> hinted at that you know and society is changing for the the role of women i mean that's that's obvious when you look back 30 years or 50 years you know both inside and outside religious institutions um yes. but i think a good place for this conversation to start is for us to go back to just how in the church are the roles of men and women different today 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 <laughs> okay um I think that well, the the, the biggest the biggest difference um, is uh, structurally uh, the men hold the priesthood. 
uh, and uh, the women hold also hold callings within the church, but um, they are part of more of an uh, and the auxiliary uh, association, which is the Reef Society, and um, there are there basically there are there are things that women cannot do that men can do within the church. There are offices that men hold that women cannot hold. Um, the, the priesthood holder, uh, is supposed to be the, um, uh, basically, um, the spiritual leader, um, of the home and, and preside over the home, uh, in a righteous manner. Um, which is pretty standard through any type of Christian doctrine that you take a look at throughout the Bible. Um, the, the Mormon church is, is pretty much a patriarchal order, I guess is the best way to describe it. Now, when you say that standard, uh, maybe like if we went back in time 70 years, you're saying most Christian churches kind of followed that pattern, right? The, the men right. were the, the ones in charge. Right, right. I mean, you look at the Catholic Church, you look at, I mean, as far as those kinds of things go, I mean, uh, female preachers even now are, I mean, they're becoming more, uh, more popular than they used to be, but um, just female authorities within different churches in general, I think, is uh, a newer uh, phenomenon. I think that that's true. And I wanted to bring out the part of the proclamation to the world, which is, you know, fairly modern, um, that, that says gender is an essential characteristic of individual premortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose. So mm -hmm. according to the church, what you are born as is what you always were and always will be as far as gender and it encompasses you know everything about your destiny and and what your role is you know for for the eternities and in this life right so some things that i've found that are interesting are the fact that there there seem to be a big split in uh in the types of things that women were allowed to do um in regards to the impetus of the church when joseph smith was the prophet and after he was killed and brigham young uh took took over the church and there was a big exodus to utah and that kind of thing i really strongly feel that there were a lot of things that uh, that shaped the church in a different direction based on a lot of uh, based on Brigham Young's prejudices towards certain things um, because when Joseph Smith was the prophet uh, women uh, women did a lot more uh, as far as priesthood type roles than they did when uh, Brigham Young took over and there were some significant changes made uh, to the Relief Society when uh, Brigham Young took over. When uh, Joseph Smith was the prophet, women would typically um, give blessings for the sick. 
um, perform, you know, th those, those types of things were, were common. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, you know, and, uh, you mentioned that in the early days of the church, the women could and did bless the sick. They also participate in something that was really common, which was speaking in tongues and interpreting the speaking in tongues, which is a big part of the worship at that uh, point in time. And, it, you know, it's lost completely from Mormonism today, of course, but women had a big role in that. And, um, some of Joseph and Brigham's wives, who later went on to leadership roles, were big players in that. So that was another obvious and um, um, visible role that women had in the church at that time. Mm -hmm. According to uh, Quinn, uh, he, he's, he, he says that uh, women originally, uh, under the direction of Joseph Smith, uh, were given a, a partial priesthood as a part of a temple ordinance that had to do with the endowment and uh, that was for uh, polygamous wives and it was uh, the uh, priesthood that they had uh, allowed them to perform healings for the sick but for other women and uh, that was not uh, given to uh, single women or women who were not uh, sealed to a man so uh, the priesthood uh, came from, you know, the ceiling to the husband, and it was an extension of that, and I think that's in a way how it's still viewed partially. Uh, it's been five years since I've been to church, so I'm not up on the latest with that. But. When, the, when the church came out to Utah and started practicing polygamy in earnest, oftentimes men kept women you know, very far apart from each other. They might have a wife in St. George and one in Salt Lake and one in Logan, for example, you know, spanning hundreds of miles. Well, the women enjoyed a certain sense of autonomy during that period, and they had to sort of fend for themselves um, much more than, than we push in the church today in this sort of idealized nuclear family. So I think that the, the women oftentimes had to take on many of those roles that might be, I don't know, denied to them today. Because and they didn't I wonder, have any other it's choice. Interesting. I, I wonder because now you see a, a lot more of, I mean, women... Women are a lot more independent now. You see a lot more career-oriented women in the church now. Um, and I, I'm wondering if a lot of that is, uh, you know, again, um, I, I think I think the church kind of has really reflected the culture. Um, and... And that culture is is changing. Um, I know that in just in my ward uh, here in North Carolina, more women work than don't work. I mean that 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 is that is the norm. Um, we have a lot of our Relief Society lessons and those kinds of things. I've taught them. They evolve around they revolve around education, around building your resume. Um, computer skills. <laughs> I mean, all of those kinds of things. Now, you, you think about that 25 years ago, and people would have absolutely gasped that that would have been part of the part of the norm. You know, oh no, you'd be doing I find it interesting. Things, you know, <laughs> the women of the church seem to be evolving and moving forward, but the church itself seems stagnant. Uh, when it comes to uh, women's rights and when it comes to uh, women's power and authority, uh, they just don't recognize it still. 
I, I see baby steps. I mean, I see baby steps being made. Uh, you know, j- just a- as an active member, I I see I see baby steps well, happening. Doctrinally, though, at, at the core, yeah, there's not there's really no change. No, when, especially you know, like I said, with that proclamation to the world on the family. I mean, that's as that's just as um, um, I guess defining of the roles as as anything has been in my opinion and doctrinally from the start and even until this day women have held no ecclesiastical power of any kind without a man Mm -hmm. without borrowing any authority they have from a man even the relief society president is not autonomous Every woman works under the authority of a male, even in their own families, or that's how it's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. A woman has less ecclesiastical authority than her 12-year-old son, who is ordained to the priesthood. I, I, I'm me, and everyone's not like me, thank goodness, (laughs) but I find that appalling. I can never, ever attend the Mormon church. I just cannot do that. I I find it sexist and, well, frankly, just beyond my ability to endure. I just think it's I, I, I'm stuck in the dark ages. In, in uh, our case, with our daughter, who is our oldest child, when she was getting ready to leave um, the nursery and move on into the primary setting, mm-hmm. We started thinking about what she would start to be taught and even what she was absorbing just from going to sacrament meetings, seeing the, the, the men sitting up there um, on, the, on the stand and them coming to the podium, conducting the meetings as if, as if you know, this is a men's church and, and you're, you're kind of here to be involved in it, but this is a men's church. We're in charge. I didn't want her to get the impression that somehow she was inferior or less competent um, than men simply because she was a female. Right. I I have four daughters, and that was the main reason I knew I had to leave the church. My husband at the time was still a member. My family, extended family, my mom, my sisters, I mean, everybody. But I could not, once I believed it was not true, I couldn't stay for some kind of family peace. I couldn't stay just to keep the peace because I have four daughters Mm -hmm. and I would do anything for them, including leave the only faith I've ever known if it's necessary for for them to reach their full potential. And I think that it's not possible, this is just my opinion, for a woman to reach her full potential in a religion that teaches that men have some kind of divine authority over women, that they have ecclesiastic or familial power over females just because they're men. I, it just actually makes no sense to me. Yeah, um, I, I, I found a quote on a blog from, um, I don't know if you guys have been to um, Mormon Feminist Housewives. Have you ever yeah. been to that? 
Um, it's kind of a, a blog site for Mormon women. Um, and from my impression of it, it, they are active Mormon women who are, who are just discussing different issues and stuff. And one of the, the things that they were talking about was teaching a young women's lesson about, um, basically, you know, their role to the priesthood, women in compare, you know, with the priesthood. I don't know how else to say that. But um, one of the, the comments from a, from a woman was, I certainly don't understand all the thoughts that are going through my head right now. I look forward to a time when I can ask all my questions, you know, after this life, and get that clarity. I know it's a good plan, because it's God's, but I don't understand why he chose to do things the way they are. So here's an example of a modern Mormon woman who mm-hmm. who basically feels like there are problems, but she can't even ask all her questions until after this life, because this is God's plan, and she can't, even though she doesn't understand it, she feels like she will understand it, um, you know, sometime later. So I, I think that's a little sad. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess we, and 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 maybe this is the. I've I've been able to. Um, rather successfully compartmentalize uh, different there are there are good parts to the church and there are parts to the church that I certainly disagree with we, we've been I guess we've, we've been able to balance uh, the the good and the bad um, with what's going on in the church I mean I don't feel like my daughters um, have been damaged emotionally and in in any way from from going to church they're both very independent young women very proud of both of them uh both continuing their education my oldest daughter has been on the dean's list for the last um three semesters have to brag about her a little bit um in the the theater education program here at uh at at one of our state schools and uh and uh my my other daughter who's going to be a senior in high school uh plans on going into special education um and uh you know so both of them have had extremely strong career goals, you know, those kinds of things, you know, feel good about themselves. Well, certainly, you know, do not feel downtrodden in any One thing is that um, (laughs) to say for you staying in the church as a um, more liberal Mormon (laughs) is that the only way that that the church will change, well, besides from, from pressure from without, which they have caved into, you know, many times in the past, but, but one way for the church to change is for people to remain in and help it along, um, from the inside to. And that's what I've tried to do. I mean, that really is what I've tried to do. Um, and, and I, I've, I've had, you know, you know, like I said, you know, we've had small successes, I guess, um, in, in that, in, in that avenue. Um, I, uh, I'm a pretty, I, I'm a pretty strong, uh, strong person uh and uh i mean i'm friendly but at the same time i you know basically i think most of the most of the priesthood holders in our uh 
in our ward know not to, you know, not to mess with me or my kids or uh, <laughs> they'll see claws. So, so Liz, <laughs> you, you talked a lot about um, compartmentalization and a lot of the, um, you know, intelligent, dynamic women that I've met in the church often do that sort of thing. You know, there's parts of the doctrine they accept, there's parts that they just say, well, we'll you know, we'll see, uh, much like you described. My, my, my question now is, for the panel, do you all think that that can have a negative effect on women in the church, having to live with that sort of compartmentalization, having to live in that sort of dual world? I think so. Um, I think when I was still an active um, member, I I felt um I I didn't feel like I had the freedom to express myself um in how do I say it you know the the old the old excuse oh when when I'm married I'll hold my I'll hold the priesthood every night when I hold when I hold my husband um You haven't you haven't heard that no. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, That's what you get for not being in Utah. <laughs> um, but just trying to convince myself that that it was okay for for it to be that way for um, me not to have the priesthood and not and not even I didn't even have to convince myself that it was okay. It just wasn't part of my training. It wasn't even a thought that I that I would even entertain for a second because it was not a possibility in any way for me to ever be, um, you know, one of the, the leaders of, of the congregation. Like I saw the, you know, the Bishop being, that just was not a possibility. So you don't even think about it. I agree, Zilpha. And, and part of it is, is, is what's really interesting. It wasn't until I left the church that I really completely understood what I had been living under before because it, it was all I had ever known. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't have anything to compare my experience to. And after I got out, I remember looking back and thinking, I cannot believe I put up with that. I cannot believe I lived with that for so long. And, uh, I, you know, now I don't believe that the priesthood is real. I don't believe it means anything. I think it's utterly meaningless, frankly. Except that holding an office in the priesthood is not meaningless to people because I think there are certain benefits. There are certain things that come along with those offices that women should be able to experience. Powers and, and privileges. Yes, that they are denied and that they should have. Um, there's other issues in the church that face females that I think are desperately to be addressed. A bishop's interviews. I don't think that a bishop has any business interviewing a teenage girl about her sexuality, about her sins, or whatever he supposes she's done. No business at all behind closed doors with a teenage right. girl. I experienced that. And I feel, I can feel it right now in my mind when I think back about how afraid I was and how nervous and how scared and how I would sit out waiting in the waiting area, waiting to go in and talk to the bishop. It terrified me. 
I think it's a horrible practice, and something should be done to stop that for these little girls that have to go in there. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised. Enough for the boys, but for girls to go in and speak to and a 35-year-old man when they're 17, which was my experience, it's, it's, it's creepy. Yeah, I am surprised that the church um, has, has allowed that to continue with lawsuits um, that have inevitably occurred from having, you know, a male and a female in one room without, without other presence. I mean, I, I can, I can, I can only tell you how I have, I have handled that particular situation with my own kids. Um, and, you know, whether, you know, whether that be a, a quote, right or wrong way, it is, you know, my what, way. What did you I, do? Uh, you know, that I have handled uh, that, basically. I have just told, you know, I, I have just uh, told both girls, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're not, uh, you don't say anything. Just you, that, that uh, you know, that's it's just not, you don't, there's no reason to have to, go to, quote, confess anything to the bishop along the lines of sexuality. We have a pretty close relationship. Uh, so, I mean, they, I thank heavens, I, you know, they, they do feel comfortable talking to me about those kinds of things. Um, and there, there is a high confidentiality there. Um, and there have been things that they have talked to me about that you know and that's as as far as it will go well, good for you <laughs> uh, you know and that's and i don't and uh that's something and 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 i i have had my <clears throat> share of conversations uh with uh with the bishoprics in our ward too that they 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 know better basically it's just like okay you just to just don't surround the Blizz's kids. We're just gonna just just leave them alone. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm always very much, you know, uh, I know the questions. I know the questions that you're supposed to ask. Stick to the questions. Right. Don't deter. Don't deter. You start deterring from the questions, you're going to have a problem with me. Okay, I'd like to shift gears a little bit here. We've been talking about authority in the church, which is obviously an important issue. Uh, there seems to be another large issue in the church with women, and that is with the the pressure on LDS women in particular. And 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 I acknowledge this is also a, a big American thing, to be mm-hmm. everything to everybody all the time. Meaning yes. they have to excel in their careers. They have to be beautiful. They have to be great homemakers. They have to be good at toll painting and doing crafts and 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 everything in their in the children world. always have to be dressed impeccably and act impeccably. I, I think, you know, and maybe it was turning 40 that did this for me. <laughs> I'm not really sure. But uh, I, I think the the biggest, I just learned to say no. And that was the most empowering thing to be able to do was just to, you know, damn it. I, you know, no, I, 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 I will do what. You know, I will do what is feasible for me to do, and that that applies to callings. That applies to 
everything, um, you know, as far as the church goes. I have had I have had bishops ask me, you know, in other words, I do not feel guilty about being asked to do something. And if it is not something that is going to be feasible for, in other words, it's going to be more of a burden to my family or to our particular situation, then I have no problem saying no. And there is there is no amount of guilt that you can try and put on me that is going to change that. And I don't know whether, you know, it's, you know, one of those things where, you know, you can, like, if, if uh, oh, oh, what's the, what's the movie, um, uh, the, you know, the, the, uh, where, uh, you know, Danny Glover and, uh, and Mel Gibson, are, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're too old for this. <laughs> lethal Weapon? Yeah, <laughs> Lethal Weapon, yeah, yeah, I'm too old for this, well, well, that's a great attitude to have, you know, but <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure that all women... Um, even have the, I don't know, emotional wherewithal to be that strong against it? Well, um, kind of, I think what broke me of, of the need to be perfect in the church was, was coming to a point where I could physically no longer do it when I, I hurt my back and I had two little babies and I realized I, I can't, I can't be perfect. I'm not perfect. And I just can't worry about it. But I still, you know, I still felt a lot of pressure to to put put on the the picture of perfection mm-hmm. um, when I went to church. You know, that was the time I I tried to you know get my makeup all on and have my kids dressed cute and hope that they would behave for the meetings and and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I will never forget reading um, part of uh, of Marie Osmond's. Uh, uh, it was uh, it was a bi- biography or uh, autobiography, I think, that she wrote, or or an article or something, where she basically had a you know a breakdown. Uh, you know, she went mass depression and and had a complete br- breakdown. And I will never forget her. You know, it was just heart wrenching to hear her say, "I, you know, but I put my lipstick on, and did what my mother always told me to do, and that was to smile." You know, and well, you know, and I experienced the same issues. I think all women experience that pressure in to some extent. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I do think it is a little bit greater in the Mormon church. And now that I've been outside of it, I've, I've attended other churches. I do think the pressure is greater there. And what's funny is I, I also think it's probably a regional issue. I, I'm from the South or, you know, and I, I think there's a little more kind of an old fashioned attitude about women that still exists here. <laughs> and I have a, a hard time shaking it still. You know, I mean, again, I'm from the South. Women here just tend to do what they need to do. Pretty gritty, pretty tough ladies here. Yeah. But but still, there was something in Mormonism that I see. I see my active friends frazzled, worn out. They haven't had their hair done in I don't know how long. (laughs) You know, they need a pedicure. They, they, I mean, they don't take care of themselves. Yeah. And they wear themselves out. Their husbands are clueless. 
Well, and they are killing themselves to be exactly what everyone thinks they ought to be. Uh, I have a I have a, a situation. Uh, okay, I my, the, one of the gals who uh, who I visit taught. Um, this was two year three no three years ago because um, it was the same summer that my oldest daughter was graduating from from high school. So I had my I had my, I remember I had my dad here from California. He was staying with us for about a month for the graduation. Um, so we had, I mean, you talk about, it was all go. <laughs> and in addition to graduating, my daughter also had the lead in, in, in the play that they were doing at the school. And it was, I mean, it was just, it was insanity like it always is. Um, and I was teaching full time over at the, over at the college too. So it was, it was really crazy. Um, and, uh, the gal who I visit taught, um, she, uh, she, she had a, a hip replacement, and we did not. They, the doctor apparently was not. It was it was really a bad situation all the way around because the doctor was not completely honest with her about the kind of care that she was going to need after the surgery was complete, um, which basically included um, round the clock, round the clock care once she got home. Um, what I was absolutely, I was about, I, I would have strangled her husband if I could have gotten a hold of him. Um, I, I had to be held back by several people um, because he was actually substitute teaching at the time. He's retired. Um, he was substitute teaching at the time. So he didn't really have to go work every day. He had a choice. I mean, you know, I understand that that may have been a little bit of extra money, but at the same time, you know, that was not something that he really, really had to do every day. Um, but we, I mean, I calendared uh, among the, I mean, the sisters in the church rallied. I will say the sisters in the ward rallied. I can't, and, uh, I used my Excel spreadsheet. I, I mean, we calendared, we had round the clock help for this sister from the time she got up and, you know, until her physical therapist got there and until her husband got home from work and all of that. I mean, and we had it. I mean, we had a system set up like that for, oh, probably a good two months while she was recovering. Um, but I, I was, I was very frustrated that her husband was not more involved. I mean, basically he was just very, um, compliant or, or complacent with, with allowing you know, allowing us to do that. I mean, not that it wasn't that I minded do. I mean, I was a visiting teacher and I certainly wasn't going to let her suffer. And we were certainly going to do everything we could to, to help her. But it just seemed like this husband was, I mean, he, he still like they were, um, they were, um, called as, as temple workers. He would go to the temple by himself at night and, you know, just leave her there and expect us to find somebody to come in and, you know, and, and, you know, be with her when she couldn't be by herself during those times, you know, and I'm thinking, what in, you know, what in the hell is well, wrong with you? You know, the I errand mean, of, this is your husband. I mean, this is your wife. 
I mean, if my my husband, you know, I, I, the, my husband would never do that. He would never do that to me. The I errand mean, of angels is given to women. And that's what the the song says. Well, so he might just feel like it's um, it's like an opportunity for women to serve. He wouldn't want to rob them of that. You know, in the, in the beginning, we were talking about the divided roles, that there's things that, that men do, uh, and they're, you know, largely the administration of the church, the holding the priesthood, the, the a lot of that thing. And then there's this space over here that's allotted for women. And we, of course, talked about in history that's sort of changed a little bit. I, I, I think there... Besides that, I think there's a lot of men who think, oh, that's the domain of women, so they don't worry about it. I mean, those the classic sort of women's work, sort of sexist view where the woman's in the kitchen, you know, I'm going to go to priesthood meeting and that's it. And we've obviously talked about some of those. I also think that they're... You need to come to my house. <laughs> <laughs> I think your house is the exception. Yeah, Liz. atypical. I don't think it's more <laughs> We all pitch in. It's not, I mean, I, I do laundry for myself and for the five and for my five-year-old and everybody else does their own. I mean. <laughs> yeah, but yes. that's atypical, I think, amongst uh, Mormon families. I The the other observation I was going to make. I, I think this is the way it should be. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that's true. I think you're I, probably right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I think there's a lot of things in the church that the women tend to do. Um, that the, the, the men sometimes, you know, speaking as a man, uh, will think that women go above and beyond in an unnecessary sort of role. For example, the classic example is that, you know, the, the, the men barely clack, crack the manual before they teach the lesson, but women will very much, you know, prepare their lessons for Relief Society and have visual aids and, 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 you know, decorate the room and, and spend a lot more time and Make energy. Cookies. Into it. Uh, yeah, you know, the, for for feeding the missionaries, for example, women will take a lot of effort, and the men will be more like, well, no one fed me when I was on a mission. Let them eat their own food. So I think sometimes that this goes to that that pressure that women feel in the church to overperform or maybe to outperform the others. I I don't know what it is, but I don't think the men always share that um, that goal. It's the only way that we, or it's the only way I felt like I could really express myself uh, at church. It was. I didn't have any kind of, you know, ecclesiastical role. I didn't, I wasn't involved in the structure. I didn't have any authority over, you know, I, I didn't, I couldn't use any other talents really except cooking or making a lesson or, or doing the things I was allowed to do. So I think we do the very best with what we can, you know, try to use our talents in the way that we're allowed, even if that way is a very narrowly defined well, I mean, there, there, there was a long there was a long period of time where I you know I really struggled testimony wise and I you know basically I I I hid I guess you would say uh with my music very I mean and and even today probably my my absolute favorite calling is playing the piano for primary I mean, that is just, that, that is just awesome because for me, I've been playing the piano since I was eight years old. I don't have to think about it. It's something I can just go in and play the piano for two hours and not really think about it. And I just get to giggle at all the kids' antics and. <laughs> well, I, I loved doing that job also until I started listening to the words that I was, of the songs I was playing. Uh-huh. And, um, and I just, I couldn't do that calling anymore either because I was encouraging. 
um, some of the the attitudes that I didn't believe in in the children by playing the piano for them. But anyway, I, I want to talk about um, a little bit about depression and and Mormon women. Have you guys? Do you feel like there's maybe more of an issue amongst Mormon women? Uh, are they? Um, I, I think I, I think what is a shame. I think now, now, as far as, as far as depression goes, I think that, I think that as, as, as a society, we still, um, see depression as something that is, um, that is controllable and, and, and we should be beyond, you know, medica you know, there, there is, there is still that real stigma even among society. It's starting to change, but it's still, it, it's still, there. I think that that is magnified even more within the church. And, you know, kind of stemming off of that, one thing that has been very difficult for me over the last um, year and a half, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And um, that is still a condition that um, doctors are still learning about. Not, it's, it's very difficult to pinpoint. They don't really know why you get it or, you know, that kind of thing. They have different, they have different theories. Um, what they basically think probably triggered it in me was having a baby as late as I, as late in life as I did. Um, I was almost 40 when I, when I had my son. Um, and so they think it was something hormonal that kicked in. But basically I go through, uh, I mean, I have, I feel like I have the flu all the time. Um, you know, body aches just continually, you know, continually in this pain all the time. And yet, you know, I'm still trying to function. I, I, I have a, I have a voice studio. I'm trying to run, I teach college classes. I have kids. I have, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm still trying to, I'm a musical director for a show right now. You know, there are a lot of things that I, that I have going on that, that I'm trying to balance. And, you know, you still get this, a, a lot of, and when, when my husband first found out that I had this, I mean, it was very disheartening to me because he really, for a, for a long time until I sat down with him and actually showed him information and he, and, you know, we talked to the doctor together about it, he really thought it was all in my head. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, so I definitely, and, and, and I think a lot, unfortunately, I, there, you know, there are, you know, unfortunately, there are hypochondriacs out there. There are people who, who do take advantage of, you know, that situation or whatever. But I, I think, unfortunately, the, the, there, and, it, you know, the, the dichotomy in the church, I, I, I see a lot more of that happening. And, and that, that's, that's heartbreaking. That is, it's, it's, it's definitely, definitely not definitely not right i i get i get very upset about that so you're saying that that women in the church who have depression um they hide it they won't get help because they feel they feel ashamed of the you know they they feel like they should be able to control it it's just like you know marie osmond's you know going back to the example of marie osmond's breakdown i mean she felt like she you know, she should have been able to get a handle on it, your, on it herself. Well, according and to the church doctrine of, um, of uh, free will, you know, you should be able to. But, you know, well, 
but you can't tell. I mean, a lot of, I mean, there, there are medical, you know, what Kimberly being depressed is that, 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 that's a medical, I mean, there, there are, that is a clinical condition, just like breaking your arm. It's just something that you can't physically see. And that, that is what is so frustrating. What Kimberly Ann? Oh, I'm sorry. I I don't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to add that um, something I felt as a Mormon, and I don't think my feelings are out of line. Mm -hmm. I I felt like things were my fault Mm -hmm. um, because I wasn't righteous enough or I wasn't doing enough. Um, I felt like if I was unhappy or, or sad or if things weren't going how they should be, or if my testimony was wavering, it was because I wasn't living my life, you know, as I should. That, that maybe there was something I should have been doing better, mm-hmm. you know. So I was constantly, um, you know, I blame myself for every little thing that happened because I must not be a faithful enough. Or maybe if I said my morning and evening prayer, you know, maybe I was only saying my evening prayer. And I always had some little reason why things wouldn't be going the way they should. And it was always my fault (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I was always taught that, you know, if if something's wrong, you're not counting your blessings. If something's wrong and you're feeling depressed, you're just not thankful enough. (laughs) So I, it's, it's a real, it was a real downer for me, but I couldn't even express that. Well, because that was wrong too. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, and I, I see that. I, I, I definitely see that and, and have felt that in, you know, in, in, in different points in my life too. Again, I, I think, uh, you know, I've gotten to the point now at, <laughs> Again, at 40, it's kind of like, you know, (laughs) Uh, people are just going to have to, you know, God and everyone else is just going to have to accept me for the way I am. And uh, either either they will or they won't. And I'm not going to change. So (laughs) but some women put up with that feeling you know, all that pressure, they, they never come to the point where you have, they, they have that pressure their, their whole lives. That's how their whole lives are. And I, and I, I wish it wasn't so. I, I, I agree. So too. I agree. Um, I so many of them, <laughs> like, like, like myself when I was a Mormon, I felt like I didn't even have anything to look forward to after I died. Even that seemed miserable. More of the same. More of the same. More babies. Babies forever. (laughs) And I love babies more than anyone I know, I think. I absolutely adore children. I I really, I don't just love them. I like them. But I don't want to have them. Forever and ever. (laughs) Well, and and now that, and, and that particular and you then know, me after, and I thought, wow, my whole life I'm going to struggle and work and put myself second. I'm going to be, be in this church where I'm sometimes unhappy, but of course that was my own fault, <laughs> I thought. And then when I die, I have nothing better to even look forward to. I, I guess it's sad. I, I guess with, um, you know, the one thing that I can't, and, and I, I don't know why or how I was able to come to that conclusion um 
as as young as I did, I, I guess I just always I, I have always felt that that Brigham Young was wrong with that particular you know, uh, with, with that particular standing that uh, uh, polygamy, that every, you know, that basically um, in order to achieve the highest degree of glory in the celestial kingdom, you had to uh, participate in, in polygamy. And also just the whole, the whole concept of, um, of, creating i mean my, my whole my whole thought has always been uh you know as far as continuing to have children i mean why the, the, the that whole concept of of uh sex forever i mean you know i'm like well yeah the that part you know the sex part forever isn't a bad thing i you know i can, I can deal with that uh <laughs> but uh, as far as the uh, you know, pregnancy side of it. Why, as a if you're a glorified being, uh, why would you? Why would that be the only way that you could create others? That <laughs> that that never ever made sense to me. And, and I guess I just always felt like, you know what, somebody got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I really, I, I get that just, you know, I was like, you know what, that doesn't make sense. I think everyone's going to be really surprised in the next life when they find out that this, that that's a bunch of baloney. That was all you one know? big joke. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. Uh, that, that always, what, one thing that, and this is just kind of switching gears, but I, I, I wanted to, I, I wanted to bring it up before I forgot, um, and Kim, we, we tease you a little bit on, uh, on, uh, Shade's, uh, discussion board about being the, you know, the cupcake queen, uh, you know, and I, <laughs> yes, I mean, and I, 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 I love, I, I just, just, I absolutely love that story, uh, be, because uh, we, we've all kind of experienced that, you know, that type of, uh, quote, morality lesson in some way. And one, one thing, one positive, I think, uh, that has evolved is that I, I really cannot see that kind of lesson being taught in, in young, in young women's today. Um, and, and I think, I think if it was taught, uh, it would be a similar situation to uh, kind of like what happened. I think I think Harmony told me uh, her group. They actually they had somebody that did it in her group, and the girls all ate the cupcakes anyway. Kim, you know, Kimberly, I mean, you share you share drinks, and all, I mean, you know, teenagers, good grief, you shared showed and sodas and everything. So who cares? Yeah, we'll all eat the cupcakes well, anyway. It doesn't matter. You know? Kimberly, for those who are unaware, maybe maybe you should. Uh, Briefly, let it, let them in on the the cupcake story. On the cupcake story, Kimberly, okay. that being the cupcake queen. <laughs> yes, uh, the cupcake story. It's it's similar to all the other really bad analogies we had in in church. There, there wasn't lesson. just lit cup, object lessons. Right? Yes, <laughs> there was. There wasn't just lit cupcakes. There were dog poop brownies. Do you remember the dog? Did anyone else oh, have no, a we, no. no, no, we we didn't do that. We our 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 <laughs> version our version of the lit cupcake story. And that was when when you said it. I just that that's I just died laughing when I when I read your when I read that for the first time. Our version of it was actually um, with a salad. And uh, and one of the leaders spit in the salad, and I mean, 
you know, just hoisted a loogie in the salad. It was really gross. Well, they're all the same disgusting lessons. You have chuta, you have, um, you know, sometimes they'll, you know, lick a candy and want to try to put it in someone else's mouth. Right. The, the licked cupcakes have represented young women in young women's class. We, we did it in young women's. And the teacher brought just enough cupcakes so that everyone would have one. And then she took one of the cupcakes and licked a bunch of frosting off the top, put the cupcake down, and then passed the cupcakes along. And the last person was stuck with the licked cupcake. And in our case, the girl wouldn't eat the cupcake. And the whole point to the lesson was, you don't want to be a yucky licked cupcake. You know, nobody will choose you. Yeah, no one will want you. You're gross, you know. (laughs) And the thing is, I think that is such a disgusting lesson to give to young women. And the the lesson that the young men had, and this lesson was given to young men even when I was an adult and teaching young women, they gave this lesson to the young men. They had a cake, the destroyed cake. What, tell, cake, tell that one. They would punch the middle and say how yucky the cake was. It had been used by someone else. It had been sullied. You don't want this yucky cake. The cake represented a female. <gasps> don't do That's anything horrible. with a girl because you'll ruin her and make her gross for someone else who should, you know, maybe be her husband. Who deserves who won't to want have her because you've used her. Oh, man. <laughs> and that lesson was probably seven or eight years ago with the cake that the boys got, that someone from the Mormon uh, Apologetics Discussion Board said that just last year, their daughter got that sullied cake lesson at young women's camp. Really? The lessons are still, if you Google them, you will see they're still floating around all, all over the place. Huh. And it's, it's just one more symptom of the church's sexist, narrow view of females. Mm-hmm. I never got a lesson telling me that boys who had premarital sex were gross and used goods. Now, actually, never. We, we did. Our, in, in, our, in, our, in, in my ward in, in California growing up, and, and maybe, that was, maybe that was because my dad was the young men's president at the time. He shouldn't uh, have had one. I'm glad I didn't, he, I guess. <laughs> he, well, well, he, well, I mean, but basically, I mean, it went both ways. I mean, it went both ways as far as, uh, I mean, as far as, uh, you know, my, my dad was, pre- their, their lessons were pretty much, hey, you know, you you don't want to do that, you know. They was they were as stern with the young men and as they were young women about it. I, I think it's cr- the young men are taught to remain chaste. I I don't disagree with that at all. I know that they're taught that lesson, but at least when I was growing up, there's a distinction in that the young men were taught to mind their own business. You know, to, to keep uh, morally keep clean. <laughs> so, well, yeah, so they can go on mission, so that things. You know, that they could be chased. But the girls and the boys were both somehow taught that girls who were not pure were really disgusting. You know, and I think that's where they really crossed the line <laughs> in that kind of teaching. I, I, I think I that agree. matches my, my experience growing up also, the type of things you're saying. And, you know, also the, the boys are obviously taught uh, morality, but nothing like the girls are who recite it. 
every week, you know, for, for yes. the, for the young minutes and passing that's topic. Weird, and the whole thing that's going on right now. I do think that that is very bizarre. What's the, the Liz, yeah, what you might know what, what's the new term they added? Was it, uh, the the whole the whole I don't to to be honest I couldn't I couldn't recite it to you. Uh, yeah, they have an eighth value now, right? It's uh, morality or we are purity or the heavenly Father who loves us and we love Him. We will stand as when I can recite it. Yeah, yeah. They just they added a new part yeah, to it. Than, hey, geez, you've been. <laughs> they did. They just added a new value, which is clearly about um, sexual morality. morality. Yeah. So I mean, the point being that. It's obviously much more emphasized among the the young ladies, um, and since these are values, and value obviously means worth, sure. that sexuality is tied up in a in a, in the at least for the young women in their sexual identity, which obviously is going to create problems when you have to switch gears 180 degrees <laughs> on your wedding night and go from being something that's dirty and impure and something that makes you unworthy to something that's Supposed whatever it be. becomes. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of issues with um with with Mormon women when they reach that wedding night and beyond in their sexual relationship with their partner feeling like it's okay. Oh, absolutely. I agree. And and not feeling, you know, somehow immoral for for having sex even with their husband or enjoying it. Enjoying sex with their partner can make them feel guilty, I I think. Well, sexuality and Mormonism and, and uh, you know, female sexuality in general is probably a whole other topic for a whole other day. <laughs> there, that's, there's there's a endless, endless, uh, I'm trying to think of some metaphor that won't sound like a double entendre. <laughs> um, but I'll just, I'll just let it at that. All right. You know, it's, I think it's been a really great discussion. I think, um, uh, Liz, you've given, especially for those who... Um, remain in the church, probably some excellent models to follow in terms of um, how to how to really contextualize and live with those things. I think for both uh, Kimberly Ann and Zilpha, I think you've described some of the reality that many women inside and outside the church feel uh, day in and day out and given us all lots of things to think about. Thank it's you. been fun. I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been great talking with you guys. Um, love to do this again sometime. Thank you, Zilpha and John and Elizabeth. It was a great conversation. It's awesome. Thank yeah, you. I enjoyed it. We'll, 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 there's some of these topics we'll have to explore in more depth in the future. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again for participating. Remember, the discussion continues at mormonexpression.com. Check out the blog there for links to the information discussed and continue the discussion. You can call and leave a comment at 801-906-6722 or you can email us your comments or audio for future podcasts in mail at mormonexpression.com. Our music is provided by Kevin McLeod at incomatech.com. Absolutely.